Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, Dark Souls 3 on PS4. Somewhere in the dim, cold distance, a bell tolled and awoke a million fanboys. After the mixed success of Dark Souls 2, many wondered if the series could recover, could in fact be brought back to its roots. A strange concept, considering what the roots of the game could be, as they are, in truth, whatever the developers felt like. But would the Dark Souls series arise once more from the ashes of its own, and the fan-imposed, self-important immolation to close out the mainline series with a bang? Let's look into that idea as I discuss 2016's Dark Souls 3. Within the lore of the Dark Souls trilogy, the various kingdoms you arise from and visit are, essentially, built atop the ruins of what came before. In the first game, your undead champion crossed the decaying ruins of Lordran, from its bleak depths to the heights of its city of gods, to the cradle where the godlord Gwyn turned himself into kindling to keep the Age of Fire going a bit longer. In fear of the Age of Dark, which would, arguably, end the Age of the Gods and begin the Age of Humanity. In Dark Souls 2, the undead curse-bearer crossed the kingdom of Drang Lake, a nation built atop the ruins of Lordran. Maybe, anyway, it's just implied. Centuries, maybe even eons, after the first game. Why do I have to be so cagey about the timeline? Because in the lore of the games, time is slippery, and your hero is just one among many, many potential timelines. By which I mean that each individual copy of the game played by the players worldwide is its own timeline. And just by you playing the game, you are only telling one possible story or outcome. Anyway, your hero in DS2 is trying to make take the mantle of the new Age of Fire from a dead king who failed to do his heroic duty and link the fire, the same fire as in the first game, and keep that Age of Fire going. You can choose not to, but since I am talking about the third game, you can guess the canon ending was your character keeping the slow rot going. And now we come to Lothric, a nation even further down the road in time, where the decay is at the point that it is utterly unstoppable and beyond reversing. You are called the Ashen One in this time. The utter dregs of the undead, literally upheaved from your stone casket as ashy sludge, because there is no one else to call on. You were a loser in undeath, but now the powers that be are so fucking desperate they are willing to revive you. You aren't even supposed to be here today, but here you are. Your job isn't even to keep the Age of Fire going, but to hunt down several former would-be champions who took the throne in ages past, but for various reasons abdicated their power and position because they didn't want to immolate themselves for the glory of a dead god-king, then slay them, and bring their souls back to their thrones to finally do their duty and burn for the old gods. At least that's the bullshit line you're given at the beginning of the game by a whole pack of liars and weirdos who are there to quote-unquote guide you on your quest. To remind the player that your character is the lowest of the low, you start out in a cemetery, right next to your own coffin, slaying ghouls while learning the basics of rolling, backstabbing, casting magic if you have it, and sucking down your refillable jug of orange juice when you get badly hurt enough. The cemetery is on an overlook, and like the games that came before it, you can get an estimation of where you'll be going throughout the game by looking over that edge. 
you will then fight your first boss, a dude in armor. The same issue with most of the bosses in Dark Souls 2, who were a dude in honor, who you will have to pull a spear out of to wake up. After a few solid hits, this Steve Reeves knockoff will suddenly explode into a humongous tar-like Tyrannosaurus Rex on human legs, that you must once again utilize the time-honored tactic of stabbing in the ass cheeks against to kill it once and for all, and then progress forward. From there you will reach the fabled Firelink Shrine, the same one from the first game, but it is now an ash heap with five thrones built into it, almost like the bowl of a gladiatorial arena. And it is to these thrones that you must return the wayward powerful souls. However, one of them is already there, waiting for his fellows to return, and will offer you advice on where to find his confederacy of lords and maybe how to kill them. You will also meet a few familiar faces, such as the blacksmith from the first game, and one of the old wise women from the second game, who will sell you crap and fix your broken gear. There is also a new firekeeper, who is a mix of Fire Shrine Guardian from the second game, and the wax occluded maiden from Demon's Souls, who will give you the means to level up and offer advice. From here, you will be teleporting to your first destination from the series' traditional bonfire checkpoint, the ramparts of a fortified city. From here, you will have some small freedom as to where you can go. Being able to wander the city looking for treasure and things will absolutely thrash you at any given moment. Until you meet the next boss, a bestial frost guardian, kill it, and move to a village outskirts. This is where the progress of the game will be, being able to move within a given battle map that is a zone all of itself. But the chained landscape is much more linear with progress to the next area locked until you can kill the boss monster of the current area, each boss being just another guardian roadblock on the way to finding the missing lords. You'll cross forest and dell, flooded ruins after poison swamp, complicated fortifications, cathedral cities, a forever night city of graceful dancers, the cemetery of your own unholy rebirth in the dark, and other landscapes both beautiful and horrifying, familiar and unfamiliar until you fight it out with the soul of cinder the incarnation of the first flame and all who have linked the fire before you something even more powerful than gwyn the god who started this whole mess in a blighted landscape a perpetual sunset and ash mountains i realize that i am vastly oversimplifying what you will be encountering across the game but without turning this review into a multi-part multi-hour affair i will try to expand a bit more on the plot you will indeed find, slay, and return to their thrones the missing lords, among who is a literal giant, a missing wastrel prince and his devastated warrior brother, a clan of warriors fighting under the banner of an ancient hero, and an old cleric who has turned into a literal vast pile of sentient sludge and is, who in the, is in the process of devouring a god from a previous game. But you will also kill a usurper holy knight, who is trying to revive the city of the gods, and a host of enemies who, like you, are failed heroes that became twisted into something else. You will tie up a loose end from the first game that has fueled half a decade of speculation across the internet, if you know where to look, that is, and even get married to an NPC if you like, by which I mean to complete your vow, you will have to ritualistically sacrifice them. It wouldn't be Dark Souls if it didn't end miserably for everyone involved. And along the way, you can discover one of four endings, 
one of which is obvious, and the other three need to be hunted for, in which you could just be fulfilling your duty that you received upon your resurrection, or you can become an utter bastard, but never a hero. The DLC that arrived for this game added two new areas and a sort of post-game completion story, where in one world, you will meet a young painter who wants to make a new world after the Age of Fire for humanity to finally flourish in, but needs the fabled Dark Soul, the true soul of humanity in the Age of Dark that so scared Gwyn and everyone who linked the fire after them to do this thing. She has sent forth a slave knight to retrieve this, and you will meet this person midway through the base game, and he will invite you to be his lady, meaning you can access the DLC if you have it earlier in the game, but to be honest, this is not recommended until you are much more powerful. In the end of the quest into the painter's world, you will set the whole thing on literal fire, for which she thanks you. And by the end of the dangerous second DLC, you will be the one who has to retrieve the Dark Soul, as the slave knight will have been found wanting in his duties and be corrupted by the power of said soul. And this slave knight, as he is called, becomes the true final boss of the whole game. You'll return the soul to the painter, and that's it. Job done, and all that. Dark Souls 3 began to be developed in 2013, and was helmed by the man who made the series famous, Hidetaka Miyazaki, after he was not involved in the development of Dark Souls 2. It was developed alongside Bloodborne, a game I have talked about previously on this show, and a game who Miyazaki went on record to say that the limitations thereof made him want to return to the Souls series. And I can say the fact that Dark Souls 3 benefited from Bloodborne's aesthetic and focus on speed and aggression over hiding behind a shield and turning turtle is on display here. Dark Souls 3 is far more fluid than the games before it, focused on more being able to move faster and have faster reflexes, in combination with sitting behind a wall of steel to stop incoming blows. Is it as fast as games now, which benefit from more powerful processors or newer programming techniques? Obviously not. Hell, the 2016 reboot of Doom was way faster than Dark Souls 3 even in the same year, literally sliding around in its combat like greased shits. But the days of slowly plodding along, like you are a medieval fantasy character who has lead boots, are over. Dark Souls 3 would also be, as of the time of this recording anyway, the definitive end of the Dark Souls trilogy, with its wrapped up plot lines and unambiguous allusions to finally having done what your character in the first game could not, stop the narcissistic and greedy actions of a mad god, and stop linking the goddamn fire once and for all. Was it because this was a good place to finally stop? Or was it because the team already wanted to go on to other types of stories and settings, like the game Sekiro or Elden Ring, that came in the immediate years after? Well, does it really matter? We already know fans have been asking for Dark Souls 4, but all stories must come to an end, and From Software is not obliged to follow the American media dictate of endless sequels to a successful formula to keep the money rolling in to the investors long after the fans have lost interest and it stops being anything of quality. Critical reception for Dark Souls 3 sits at mostly positive reviews, with overall high 80s on outlets like Metacritic and most aggregate review sites, 
with the occasional complaint that the game held no surprises and was not the same novelty of the first game. Well, no shit, morons. The linear map design, which FromSoft has kind of done before, so what were you expecting, fools? Technical issues and Bandai Namco's handling of the Western launch of the game, which I have no fucking idea what they are complaining about, because by the time I got to the game, it was fine. But then again, I don't often get a game at launch, but instead much later, because I don't have that kind of time or budget for titles at launch, and the complaints I have about games do not often match the collective unconsciousness of gamers and the companies that exist solely to review them and the industry. Of course, I also don't have endless unthinking praise for games and people in the development of them. That gamers and the reviewers industry constantly and consistently fawn over like children, but that is a separate issue I've already talked to death. I mean, it's not like other companies haven't used the same mechanics for decades, over and over. Just look at Bethesda Game Studios. The problem is, this sort of bullshit dance we all do in the review of games will not change, because humans get surprisingly set in their ways quickly about the privileged entertainment properties we all play. Unfortunately, the Souls series is one of those games in the gaming world where people are in a love-hate relationship with it. They either hate it and everything it stands for, or they love it without questioning it. But would questioning its change the final outcome of the product? Fuck no, it doesn't. Does hating it diminish it? Fuck no, it just wastes your own personal time. And a lot of folks on either side of this debate about this particular series have either never actually played it or played it way too much and forget to think that there are other ways to have fun with it. As almost an aside, it was the fastest selling Bandai Namco game until it was outdone by Elden Ring. Now, where do I stand with this game? I suppose I'm not a good source of impartiality with FromSoft games, or the process of how they do things. I have enjoyed the Dark Souls series. Yes, even Dark Souls 2, despite its awkwardness and clunkiness. I have greatly enjoyed Bloodborne and, spoiler alert for a future show, Elden Ring. But I wouldn't touch Sekiro with a 20-foot pole. And frankly, I don't know jack shit about Armored Core or King's Field or what came before this game that would showcase their previous successes and failures. I liked how Dark Souls 3 played and the story it told, enough to replay it more than once, and enough to have my same issue I've had with the whole series of games before it, where I keep starting over with new characters, builds, as I learned more about the game, and gain new toys in the game that I couldn't use with the powers and stats that I had currently, and had to make all new builds just to try out new stuff. I personally don't see this as a problem. I see this as a way to enjoy the game in all new ways and replay it. Which is the point of a game you like, finding new ways to have fun with it once the initial shine is worn off. Dark Souls 3 was, to me, the apex of the series, and a wonderful send-off for this trilogy of dark fantasy titles. And by send-off, I mean we now have closure and can move on to other things, something which, also unfortunately, the game media world is not having, as any new game with even a remote amount of challenge gets termed Souls-like, because of course we can't fucking come up with original thoughts, especially when the term is such a ripe one for marketing buzzwords. I'm beginning to think we all collectively need some sort of therapy here within gaming, like a kind of general grief counseling. 
It's like gamers collectively got shocked and cannot get past the death of Aerith, or can't reconcile why Valve has chosen to never ever count to the number three and left whole shitloads of cliffhangers, or realize the EA doesn't have our best intentions at heart, or that it never fucking mattered which console or personal computer you played on, and now we have stupid arguments about what are Souls likes, or Metroidvanias, or who a real gamer is or not, and games like Dark Souls get levered against players for good and for ill because of collected, misdirected grief. And of course, anyone who gives it less than perfect praise, or criticizes it more than a slight amount, gets pilloried by the fans and the haters. What I'm saying is that it has a shitty community surrounding a good game, and that just sucks for everyone, even those not involved. However, I really like this game. And as I've said before, that since this is my show, that's all that really matters here. And to be honest, I'm glad this trilogy has come to an end. Like every story, it needed to be done before it got blown out of control into failure and awkward calls back to past glory. Like the 40-something washout dude who can only ever talk about his high school football game win. It was a great conclusion, full of improvements and escalations, and completion to long-held suppositions about the world and the overall setting. Maybe not the best implemented compared to another game that came out years afterwards that you, yes, you listening out there, liked better or only existed in the happy sunshine asylum in your own head, or even other games that I liked. But it is a worthy title and a good one to have in a game collection. But the best part is... As I have already said, and will say again, that it is concluded. I do hope FromSoft does not come out with another Dark Souls title. A number four, if you will. Because I think it will only diminish what exists. This is something I wish more developers would do. End your fucking stories conclusively. Don't sequel bait, don't leave cliffhangers, but also don't keep making endless sequels even if there is, they are in an unquote-unquote same universe and are technically unrelated. Yeah, I know. Y'all love money, and you got into this to make money. But by not concluding things and moving on, you just look like clowns. Perhaps this is our biggest lesson here. Moving on. Accepting that the world changes, things end, and we move on, no matter how long it takes. We have to or there can be no growth. That by perpetuating stereotypes and industry buzzwords, we do not allow ourselves to move on to new experiences and new ways of thinking about games and those who play them. We cannot accept a new world, a new way, by clinging desperately to what came before. Don't be a Lord Gwyn and keep blinking the fire. Be an ashen one, and let the fire fade out so you can move on. Thank you for listening. Deleted Saves would like to thank Brad, Keith Gasper, Orden Wells, and Mass Lama for being patrons of the show. If you would like to become a patron of the show, please go to patreon.com and check out Deleted Saves podcast. All donations go directly towards maintaining the show itself. Thank you.